But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> Bugatti. Bugatti. I like that word. It's just like Bugatti. Uh, 100P. 100 Papa. So I'm not really... I mean, I, Bugatti's a car, right? Well, Bugatti's a, a manufacturer. They made a lot of stuff over the years. Uh-huh. And... Uh, and there, that was the roots of this airplane. Right. The, now, and the people, car maker wanted to get some extra promotion for his very oh. exotic cars, so he built a very exotic airplane to uh, try to win some speed records. Now, now, did it fly back in the day? Was it actually ever an airplane, or was it just a design it that never flown? Never, never flown. Never flew. Now, now, what what era are we talking? There's a there's a sort of cool looking. Old old re- artist rendering that m- makes it look like it'd be twenties, thirties, forties. Oh, thirty nine. The year was nineteen thirty. <laughs> Never mind. I'll just read the story, and and that way I'll understand. <clears throat> the year I'm looking That's at a the, novel approach. That's yeah, a I know, novel. right? Looking at a story from website theverge.com. Uh, yet again, one of our favorite aviation websites. Um, the year was nineteen thirty nine. Etor. How do you say Etor? A Bugatti. Etore. Bugatti, one of the most interesting and innovative individuals involved in the auto industry's formative years, was furiously working on his company's only aircraft. Um, it's cool. Gotta love the piece of artwork. Got a Bugatti automobile down there. Yeah. Bugatti airplane. Right. Flying as it never has. Yeah. And right. man, if it had made that pass, that would have been quite a moment because it's pretty low and pretty pretty uh, pretty uh, close to the ground and uh, probably well, the artist even gave it a little. Uh, little uh wingtip board of seat yeah i know yeah. a little, little, little uh, str- uh jet stream a, there a, a little, little vapor there pulling yeah. a little g yeah so it's a it's a, a low-wing monoplane uh it's uh, got uh, a straight edge i don't know how you call it but the, the leading edge of the wings are very very straight all the way across the from wingtip to wingtip now the, this article says the the wings are forward swept and i guess they could be slightly forward stri- I, I wouldn't disagree if you take with a look at the photograph yeah now the other story i gave you a link to shows the one that they're building swept. now and it does look a little forward swept yeah um and then it has a, a sort of interesting y tail um very good and uh, very good yeah. Yeah. yeah and so uh uh, that's kind of interesting with the, the Y tail being uh, sort of a, it, it, you start to look at it as a, as a V tail, what we're familiar with from bonanzas and whatnot. But then there's also a descending vertical uh, from from the uh, cent where the two, where the V meets. So we'll call and it that, a, a Y tail. The, the uh, upward pointing surfaces of the uh, Y tail have the inlets for the uh, engine cooling system. Oh, okay. Yep. And then the uh, the fuselage is very very sleek and comes to a pretty sh- a pretty uh, pointed uh, tip at the at the front um, with it reminds it, me if you put wings on a bullet yeah exactly and it has uh, so is this um, coaxial pair of uh, propellers is that what I'm seeing up there yeah uh-huh. yeah well and, contra uh, contra rotating one would imagine sure. contra rotating yeah. yeah I'm not sure coaxial applies but yeah. Well, Contra rotating. Well, I, the, the terminology means something different. And I'm just not sure what it means. In okay. Sense. Well, when I when, yeah, okay. But what I meant by coaxial, and maybe I'm using the term wrong. What I meant was they're on the same axis. They're, they're right. both. They they you know, um, they're not like and, next to each other or anything like right. that. There. And each prop's driven from one of the two engines. Oh, so right. there's two engines in there. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There's two, two engines. engines in there. Yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> 
I would I would imagine the engines must be sort of right on the wing line on the CG. I would imagine, right? And uh, well, if you go to the Gizmag link that you set up, yep. Now that's the second people people were digging the second, for this. That's the second Gizmag G I Z M A G dot com uh-huh. is the other story. Uh, and you scroll through the images. There's a gallery of seven images. Yeah, okay. Wait. One of which is a plan form um, that that details a the forward swept wings and b the placement of the engines. Okay, I'm not seeing four of seven on that. Of the oh. uh, image gallery. I see it now. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Where Very do you get? Where, where do you get two Bugatti Type 50C motors in this day and age? I don't know. Do you do you build them yourself? I don't know. I guess. Um, All right. You, I, the, the engines alone have to be some something special, so to speak. I keep clicking the link. I keep clicking the picture thumbnail that looks like the uh, top view plan view, and I keep getting the. Maybe, well, hang on, hang on. So let me reload. Let, let me reload. Let me reload this page again. Okay, so you open up that page, and just below the head on the right, above the picture, there's a there's a link yeah. that says seven pictures. Oh, I got click, it now. Click that, and then hit click next four times. Yes, I know. I think I figured it. Three out. times. So, so they're building one right now. Um, and uh, where where is this now? I should I suppose I could just read that's the story. That's a good here. question. That's, let's see. That's uh, I want to say Texas, but everything is in Texas. Um, Boy, looking at the outline of the main spar, really does show up how forward swept they, and then double tapered. Mm-hmm. That is one tough piece of work what, what do you mean by tough well there's difficult to do accomplish not, not, not a single yeah not a single line in that wing yeah. that repeats from left to right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, every rib is different uh the cord of every rib is different the uh the d-cell tapers the after the wing tapers the flaps and the ailerons all taper uh this sucker ought to be as fast as it looks. Mm-hmm. Now, it should not surprise you to learn that the this project has its own website. Ah, okay. Wait a minute. Then B- B- Bugatti100p.com. Bugatti? 100p. 100p.com. Sorry about this, folks, but we're breaking in a new producer. <laughs> yeah, I know. I <laughs> said. Back from vacation, so I don't even know. Wait, wait, is it? Is, wait, it's oh, it is in all one word. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, no, I got it. I just say uh, yeah. All right, so I still want to know where this is happening because there's a whole bunch of Italian on the uh, web page here. Dave, he's going to cut you one of these days. Yeah, no, I'm going to edit him out. Worse, I'm worse. I'm going to edit him out. Um, so, anyways, our mission is to build and fly a replica of the Bugatti 100P, the most elegant and technologically advanced airplane of its time. Our vision is to. I'm sorry, I still can't figure out where they're doing this. And who I can't is. either. I'm looking. I'm looking for this also. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at their website and I don't see it. Um, yeah. Okay. So the team. I'm looking at their website. Scott Wilson, John Lawson, Scott Simon Wilson. Bernie, Scott Wilson lives near Tulsa. Teresa Studley, Oscar Taylor. Um, so uh, apparently, it's being built well, near Tulsa. Say near again? Tulsa. Apparently, yeah. it's being built near Tulsa. Near Tulsa. Talking, talking about the engineering director who built a or designed built a gearbox 
tested it in the UK before shipping it to Tulsa for mm-hmm. fitting to the airframe. Yeah. So well, and they've they've had the airframe uh, on display up at Oshkosh at least once, I think mm-hmm. twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, have they really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it yeah. was in the uh, Welcome Center one year when we did our show there. Oh, I kind of remember that. Okay, that was this. Yeah, it didn't look this pretty. It wasn't finished. Yeah. Okay. All right. It was probably that image that uh, shows under construction. Yeah. But I, I got to say, I like that blue. The blue is very nice. Yeah. The blue is very nice. Yeah. yeah so. And and the 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 curves are just indecent. <laughs> yes. Exactly. They, they just truly are. There, there, yeah. There's no. There's not a straight line on this thing. Uh huh. <laughs> oh man, too many segue possibilities. The curves are indecent. The. Uh, well, you, you look at the little details, like they put the inlets for the cooling system in the leading edges of the upper portions of the Y-tail. Mm-hmm. That's a high-pressure area. It should help relieve pressure and smooth the airflow over that. The exhaust outlets, they're in the, uh, the spot where the fairings on the fuselage join the wing. Uh, that's got to be a low-pressure area because of the air flowing over there and help scavenge exhaust out of the engine, make it, help it breathe better. May even add it's some a- thrust. And then you got inlets up on the top for the uh, for the combustion air. Uh, I'm dying to know whether those are turbocharged or supercharged engines. Because it looks like a really small inlet for each of those two motors. All right, so now you got to go to the first of the two links, the verge.com link that I gave you. Scroll to the bottom, and this was all being financed by a Kickstarter um, fundraising program and if you click over to the kickstarter project page there is a video of it doing taxi tests so that's kind of cool and uh, i'm watching it now with the sound muted but uh, it's taxing down in the the counter the uh, the contra rotating props are you know how propellers do weird things on video these days? They had this sort of saber sword uh-huh. blade, you know, illusion. Well, when you've got two of them going in the opposite directions, it's even more funky than you're used to. So, uh, oh, you're on the kick. Yeah, you're on the Kickstarter. On the Kickstarter page, and there's a video of it doing taxi tests. And oh my gosh, it looks science fiction like as it taxis by. Anyways, that's cool. Well, apparently we're going to. Uh, uh, the Kickstarter page reports we conducted a successful moderate speed test and a high-powered engine test yeah, a few see, days ago. What date? I see this? one thing right off the bat. It looks like it's just too short fuselage. It, it, it's it's definitely a little bit smaller than I I, I pictured yeah. from the pictures. But anyway, so it'll be kind of cool, and maybe it'll fly one of these days soon, and maybe we'll see it uh, next spring at uh, Sun and Fun or something like that. That'd be that'd yeah, be that nice. would be cool. That'd be nice. Now is the is the gear going to be fixed, or, or is it retract? It's got to be retracted. This sleek an airplane. Well, yeah, I would think. Uh, it, it looks, I mean, it certainly appears as if it's retractable gear. Yeah. You've got like a, the, the, the gear door on the, um, on the wheels, on the main wheels. Right, right. And they're not fair. They don't have wheel, yeah, wheel there, pants. There's, no, there's no fairing there. there yeah. They do yeah. retract. David, did we lose David? David, are you there? We lost David. And, and I'll say something like, okay, I think we're back now. I think we, we had a little technical difficulty there, but uh, um, I think, we're, David, you're still there, right? 
Uh, let me check. No, yep, still here. Why do you keep uh, doing that, David? Does that? Does that? <laughs> do not need that image. Did, All right. did, didn't we have that conversation? We did. We did have that conversation. All right. Well, listen. I'm just going to jump in here and say, regardless of the, what we just went through, welcome, folks, to <laughs> Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from, you haven't heard this in a long, long time, coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in Nottingham, New Hampshire. Yes, I'm back here living at Lookout Point. The uh, the the condo at, at Papa Papa is on the market. If anybody's looking for a nice condo, I can make you a good deal. Um, but uh, family decided that it's time to, uh, to uh, reorganize the... Uh, the uh, estate and so the condos for sale and i'm technically homeless but uh, back here in one of the rooms at uh, at lookout point which is if you got to be homeless this is the way to do it i'll tell you it's really beautiful here and uh, i'm talking to my two good friends uh, about bugattis and uh, technical difficulties and and uh, and too much information um, one of those good friends out there <laughs> is jeb burnside coming to us from somewhere near sarasota florida hi jeb what's going on not a whole lot. Uh, basking in the glow once again. Yeah, you so, just finished up, huh? Another issue of the magazine. Finished up another. Finished up another issue of the magazine, and uh, so just trying to pick up pieces of stuff that I've had to let slide in the meantime, as I've probably said here before. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking forward to chatting with you guys for a few days or a few hours. A few days. It'll only <laughs> seem like a few. <laughs> days. It'll, it'll only seem like a few days. Yeah, I haven't talked to you since uh, your trip back from Oshkosh. Uh, you you took the scenic route coming home, right? You took your kinda, time and uh, kind of sort of. Yeah, I overnighted um, uh, my old stomping grounds, my old alma mater in Athens, Georgia. Uh, hooked up with an old high school buddy of mine and, and later college roommate. And uh, we went out and broke bad a little bit, went out on the town, and uh, uh, had a really good time, and uh, it was a great way to break up the trip. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. That uh, and uh, and and you, you, no one alerted the authorities in advance, apparently, because no one no one alerted the authorities in advance. That wasn't it's it's summer semester, so you know. Ah, uh, okay. So it's yeah, okay. I get. I think I see what's going on there. Well, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. Yeah. And yeah. my other good friend here is uh, Dave Higdon, talking to us from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? Faster than a speeding Bugatti. Yeah, that's right. It's. Uh, uh, what's going on up there? Is, is the is it still tornado season at this time of the year? Uh, you know, almost any time between March and uh, October uh-huh. could be tornado yeah. weather here. And we've had a couple of pretty good storms uh, it, since I got home from uh, uh, Oscar Sierra Hotel. Uh, enough to blow off some tree limbs, knock out power in parts of the neighborhood. But the odd thing is, it was temperate and above average wet most of the time that i was gone to oshkosh Mm -hmm. and it's been that way since i got back yeah it's it's been that way up here too it was really hot when when we when i was gone and while i was i was traveling before before oshkosh but uh it's been very very pleasant it's actually almost fall like here in new england um when when you dropped off the skype connection jeb and i both immediately thought tornado what's the weather in wichita is he you know did he just lose his power or something like that but uh, apparently that wasn't what it was so we're good for now but we did did lose it in my neighborhood uh saturday uh saturday evening but that was less weather-related and more rodent-related. A squirrel uh, got got crossed two wires and blew the fuse link for the uh, 
feed line in my neighborhood. Well, that's always exciting. Yeah. And the, the squirrel, I'm sure, gave his or her life in this endeavor. <laughs> exactly. it, you know, it's funny. It 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 blew him off the wire. There was a big bang that I heard in the house before all the lights went out, and there he was dangling off the top of a chain link fence really? right at the bottom of the pole yeah. where the damage occurred. And with all the smoke escaping, right? That's usually the bad sign, right? When the smoke escapes. <laughs> uh, he wasn't smoking at that point. I think he probably gave it up on advice of the I doctor. I see. I see. Wow. Hey, listen, all kidding aside, David, I want to uh, uh, say say something pretty serious, and that is to thank you uh, for sitting in for uh, Jeb and I when we couldn't be there on the final day at Oshkosh. Um, it, was, uh, it was a big thing to ask of you, and you stepped up and did a terrific job, David. I mean, I just really want to congratulate you on yeah, absolutely. W- what a nice episode that was. I, I enjoy. It was really interesting. It's one of the few times I've, maybe the only time actually, that there's ever been a UCAP episode that I listened online for the first time. I was really just a listener, <laughs> all right. And I'm going, well, this is kind of in, this is kind of you know, I hope kind of I different. hope yeah. I hope all our episodes are this good because this was pretty fun. I enjoyed it, and uh, well, uh, I had really good help uh, with uh, uh, James Winbrandt and Larry Overstreet yep. on the deck with me. Big thanks Had to them a couple as well. Of really, sure. really good guests that mm-hmm. helped a lot. Uh, Bill Harrelson, who's flown a Lancer around the world, top to bottom, and uh, our old buddy Adam Smith, who's with the CAF now, to talk about that's all, brother. Yeah. So we we were front loaded, and it had been a good week. Lots of news to talk about, and nice yeah. weather, fresh donuts. Uh, how can you go wrong? They gave you donuts? They didn't give us donuts last they year, did they? Give us I don't remember I, that. I brought the donuts. Oh, okay. Ah. Ah. I always ah. bring the donuts for the radio station people. Ah, I see. All right. That'll come up at the next That'll meeting. come up at the next meeting. So anyways, David, congratulations and thank you very much. And, well, uh, thanks. It was fun. Uh, nice uh, job. And, and don't ever make that happen again. I know. <laughs> Three or four times during the episode, you go, I don't want to do this again. <laughs> you know, But you did great. You did. I hope I do that way. Well, all right, you did a nice job. It was very, very good. Thank you very much. Speaking of Oshkosh, uh, we've now been home, what, two, almost, you know, two weeks, three, three weeks? What is it? I think it's two and a half weeks since we all got home. And uh, um, any, any final thoughts? It was, it was a pretty good year. Um, Jeb and I, unfortunately, didn't get to see all of it. But uh, all of the postmortem stories I'm reading talk about it being a a record-breaking year and 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 a great year. And it certainly seemed that way for the time that I was there. Yeah, it um, certainly seemed that way from my well, perspective. I've been home two weeks as of yesterday, the 10th. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, I'm still hearing about it from uh, people indirectly. Uh, something in excess of a half a million, uh, more than 10,000 airplanes. Yep. Those numbers sound so typical. But there was something different about it this year. It did. It felt great. It, you know, and the weather, although it started out to be a little frightening, I thought it was going to be a wet week according to the forecasts. But then, by the time opening day arrived, uh, there was hardly a drop of rain the rest of the week, and uh, um, it, it was a great week weather-wise, temperature-wise. Uh, and uh, and then Jeb and I did something a little different the year this year, which is that we stayed out at uh, Camp Bacon, which was yes. a lot of fun. Um, that was a, very a lot fun. of fun and. And uh, once again, very, very grateful to uh, the invitation and mm-hmm. the hospitality, and uh, uh, maybe we'll do it again. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, I don't know if there are any final stories come, came out of Osh, Osh 15 that we want to touch on, but uh, other than to say it was it was a great week, and uh, you know, can't wait till next year already. So yeah, although yeah. we're gonna do Sun and Fun first, Sun and Fun. 
Yeah, let's do something fun first. Yeah, and, and, and then we'll, uh, and then we'll see. Know, maybe maybe we'll do another yeah, show you know, or two or something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, and David, by the way, I sh- I'm remiss if I didn't say congratulations to you also for your work with the newspaper. Uh, you did another terrific job, uh, you and that entire crew. Oh, um, thanks. That was uh, it was a it, it it was a job. Yeah, it was a little challenging this year, I know, and and you guys just stepped up, and I I I'm convinced that the readers didn't know the difference. The readers, it was as good as it ever is um, from the readers' perspective, and and that's I guess really all you can ask. So uh, well, that's an, that's another case of having really good staff who yeah. knows what they're doing, and everybody everybody jumped in and and dug down and served it up. Yeah. So yep. One quick story that uh, happened actually before we all went to Oshkosh, and uh, this is actually our first regular non-Oshkosh episode since then, and that was that uh, we heard the news about uh, uh, legendary aircraft designer Jim Beatty died um, just prior to AirVenture, and uh, would be uh, remiss to not recognize his great contribution to aviation over the years, um, certainly as a designer, and to a certain extent as a character as well. Um, and uh, I never met the man. I've read about him, and I think I've probably Probably seen him across the across the field, if you will. But uh, have I? Did either of you ever meet Jim Beatty? And uh, no, never met him. Yeah, David. He was still hanging around north of uh, Wichita when I first moved here. Yeah, and uh, met him a couple of times and talked about projects and the uh, the uh, little fighter jet kit that he was working on at one point. That and. Uh, the uh, continued popularity of some of his uh, home-built design. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he, he definitely was uh, one of general aviation's more interesting personality. He was. He yeah. was. And, yeah. uh, and uh, it goes without saying he'll be missed. But, uh, but his designs will live on for quite some time. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So this next story, I'm not buying it, by the way. I'm I'm sticking with the conspiracy theory, all right? I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. All right? The news says, the news says that they've started to find pieces, parts of Malaysia Flight 370, the 777 that disappeared over a year ago out in the uh, the Southern Ocean. And uh, and and it was the subject of a. We don't know where it disappeared. That's part of the problem. Well, okay, yes, but they did. They spent a lot of time looking, and the and the, you know the public story they want you to believe is that it dis- or, yes that it disappeared in the Southern Ocean, um, but uh, yeah. So pieces parts are floating up now that uh, that uh, the the authorities are saying are in fact parts from this aircraft. Um, Jeb, this was always your your thing. Have you had a chance to read any of this stuff? Can you yeah, kind of I have. tell us what's um, going on here? Basically, they found a flapperon. Apparently, the right flapperon from a seven trip, uh, a triple seven. Um, since there aren't any triple sevens missing that we don't know about, um, speculation is, and I think it's since been confirmed, based on um, uh, some kind of uh, identification of the part itself. Right, some sort of part it, number on the part. Right, right. That, it, that it, well, control number something, that it came from the accident aircraft, the missing aircraft. Um, <clears throat> it's way too early to know um, what uh, a- additional evidence there might be um, gleaned from this. For example, um, are the trailing edges damaged? Um, right. How was it 
what forces were exerted to remove it from the wing, things like that. Mm -hmm. That could be determined by some, some detailed analysis, perhaps determined by some detailed analysis, which would in turn tell us, was it retracted or was it extended mm, okay. uh, when it was disassociated from the wing? Um, things like that would tell us, well, was did the airplane, let's, let's presume for the moment that the airplane um, 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 experienced what we might call a water landing. Um, was it under control when that water landing occurred or was it out of control? Was it configured for a landing? Was it not configured for a landing? Things like that. Um, may or may not be able to be determined from this component. Apparently, there's been some other um, components or, or um, flotsam, if you will, wash up in that same general area, mm -hmm. yeah. including uh, what appears to be uh, window panes from an airplane and perhaps like a seat cushion or a life vest or something like right. that, fl right. floating material. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not known by me what else has might have been discovered nor uh whether they can even reliably and, and finally trace the, those materials back to this particular airframe right but if in fact these are parts from the airplane and they apparently believe they were are um i, I would imagine this is going to narrow the searcher i mean sir i mean no i don't think so I, you don't I, think that now that they know this is where the currents took it they can kind of backtrack the currents a little bit more accurately months, 15 months of currents and um, they could probably they, they can get it to somewhere within the su the southern Indian Ocean and probably a little bit closer to that yeah. than that. But uh, I just don't see um, them being able to nail down to say within you know certainly not within ten, say ten kilometers or something uh, where the um, the uh, component entered the I water. Yes, I mean I've read stories about people who spend their entire careers tracking the floating course of sure. of rubber ducks you've heard this story that, that sure. there was a some sort of big shipment of a couple of containers full of little floating rubber ducks that crashed that went off mm -hmm. overboard mm -hmm. into the ocean at some point and ever since then they've been tracking where they're floating on shore because people pay a lot of attention to how these currents work and i don't know you know i don't i don't disagree that the science exists um relative to um um, tracking uh, currents and tracking things that would would float through the water and and literally over thousands and thousands of kilometers, uh, that science is out there. But it's it's um, you looking at the variables of time and wind, and we don't have weather information for a lot of that area of the of the of the of the Earth. Um, wave actions, things like that. Um, the further you get from the point of entry, the less precise is the data. The less precise are the results from that data. And again, narrowing it down to, say, a 10-kilometer square would be, I think, impossible. It would be mm -hmm. a stroke of luck, if, if nothing else. Right. But um, who knows? Maybe yeah. the science is, is that good. Well, you and know, now having more, said and that... And more power to them. Yeah, having said that, though, is there, in fact, anybody still searching? I mean, are they still trying there's to find still, There's the still wreckage? a ship out there right now, as there. far as I recall, doing an underwater sonar search, mm -hmm. mapping the, the ocean bottom near or in the, in the search area. Mm -hmm. um, so far, those results, to the best of my knowledge, have been inconclusive. 
and and what's the situation with the recorders? Clearly, the pingers have stopped by now, long oh, yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. But will these recorders? Will the data survive on these recorders for a long time? How does that work well, it, these it, days? It, it did. How long was France underwater? Oh. Air France four four seven was underwater close to two years, as I recall. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, and that data survived. It it's in a non volatile memory chip. Right. Uh, presuming, and, and that was, I think, 14,000 feet, something on that order. Underwater. Uh, underwater. Yeah. Um, and this could be, could be slightly more shallow. It could be slightly more uh, deep. Um, we simply don't know and won't know until and unless we find um, the, the recorders. Now, you know, that also begs the question, well, what's on the recorders, if anything? And... and um, Depending on which theory of this uh, this tragedy you subscribe to, uh, it's entirely likely there's nothing on these recorders because the circuit breakers were pulled early on in this event. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah right. Depending on what really happened, yeah, right. right. Now there may be a quick access recorder. There may be some other recorders that um, um, were not disabled, shall we say? Uh, or that were not uh, uh, that did survive. Who knows? First of all, I have to find some other trace of this aircraft uh, uh, in the water, right. uh, on the on the seabed before they can really. Uh, and then they have to find the recorders and then retrieve them. So even even if they knew within a ten kilometer square of yep. where this aircraft entered the water, mm -hmm. there's also the issue of how it might have might have. Um, I don't know, transition translated uh, as it descended from the surface to the bottom. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what may have happened to it over time to shift wreckage around, uh, disassemble things, things of that sort. Sure, sure. David, anything you want to add to this? What's uh... Well, you were talking about being able to uh, use ocean current data to backtrack where a piece of debris came from. Uh, some of that's going to depend on the time of discovering the debris as right. opposed to, oh, gee, we've got some floating in the water right now. We can start to backtrack from this moment because that big piece of lapron had washed ashore. Uh, and it's a little hard to estimate how long it might have been ashore so you'd know exactly where in the, in the, in the time factor to start backtracking current information. It's uh, not going to be easy. Uh, somebody's going to somebody's going to stumble onto something someday that will point the way. In the meantime, it's still one big question mark. Yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, see, I'm not buying it. It's all just a, this is all just a, this is just a red herring that's been planted by the bad guys. <laughs> all right, they've they, you know like they stenciled on the right serial number because because this airplane it's buried up on the mainland. I've seen pictures. All right. That that of of a of a piece of ground that has a. Did you see those on Skynet? I you know it wasn't on Skynet. It was uh, it was a website and it was on the internet, so it had to be true, all right. And someone had had satellite pictures of a piece of ground up on their mainland someplace, and and it had a wait, had wait, a piece of ground wait, that wait, clearly wait. had been been dug up recently in the shape of a triple seven. I'm telling you, that's we're 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 on the internet. Does that mean we're true? Yeah, but of course. Yeah. Oh man, nobody um, told me about that. David, sir. David, did is this the airplane you flew? I, I was shocked to see this story just today. Apparently, the story 
uh, ha this happened a couple of days ago. Let me see if I can find the actual link here. What I'm talking about here. Um, the um, just aircraft super stole um, aircraft. Um, apparently yeah. this is the demo airplane. Is this the same airplane you flew in, in Oshkosh? Not unless they did a quick paint job okay. after the one I flew in Oshkosh. No, um, uh, the, it, it crashed. Um, apparently it suffered an engine failure and, uh, um, and came down hard. Uh, both people on board apparently walked away. That's always good. Um, the airplane though, was kind of rolled up into a ball. Um, and uh, I'm surprised that they were uninjured in that. It, it really is from the picture. It sure looks like it would have been. That's, that's fugly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, it, 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 I'd say that I think they called it total in the press release. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. No kidding. I'm looking at a story here on uh, avweb.com. Uh, water in fuel blamed for Just Aircraft Superstall crash. Uh, Just Aircraft says water in the fuel caused the loss of their demonstrator Superstall aircraft on August 2. Company founder Troy Woodland was at the controls when the aircraft went down shortly after takeoff at the company's home base in Walhalla, South Carolina. Although the aircraft was destroyed, Woodland and his unidentified passenger were uninjured. Uh, in a news release, the company said the aircraft had been flown previously the same day and performed normally. Um, yeah, too bad. Uh, but uh, this is the model you flew, though, right, David? Well, this is the original Superstall. Okay. Uh, the one that I just flew at Oshkosh was the XL version, uh, which is okay. three and a half feet longer and had uh, significantly more engine. Uh, I think this is the same one I flew in 2013 at Lakeland. That was a company demonstrator. I think it might be the same one as that. That had a Rotax 912 in it. The one I flew at Oshkosh had a UL Power uh, I-520, I think they called it, mm -hmm. uh, making a whopping 180 horsepower. Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. That's a lot of horsepower for a little an airplane. I, like an I-520? Yeah. Yeah, I went through the same. Seriously? But uh, You mean an I-520? Yeah. No, no, this was from a company called UL Power, I believe it okay. is. Okay, okay, never mind. I'll, uh, I'll, go, I'll go back to my corner now. Okay. And it's an injected electronic ignition, 520-inch, six-cylinder. But hmm. this one, they make a number of variations. Uh, one that they had on the Superstall XL was only rated for 180 horsepower. But at that horsepower rating, I figure it's got to have a 5 million hour TBO. Yeah, yeah and, and, and levitation powers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, still reading from the avweb.com story here, um, they quote a press release that came from Just Aircraft. Um, yeah. The press release reads, or, and again, this is just a fragment, but what they quote, it says, Woodland, the pilot, had pre-flighted and flown the aircraft earlier in the day and added fuel just before takeoff. It was learned later that the fuel he added had water in it. Right after takeoff, he experienced a serious reduction in power, then a brief surge, after which the engine died. Now, that that's a little bit of a of a of a flag waving for me. All right, that he added fuel and then and didn't check the fuel. I, I, that strikes me as assuming that's what really happened. Assuming that it's worded properly, um, that, you know, you you always you always strain some fuel before after adding fuel, don't you? I do. Yeah. I mean, that's just like it's on the checklist. That's pre-flight one hundred and one. All right. Is yeah. uh, it, it, you know. Um, 
at the same time, I've watched guys do this time and time again uh, when they're in demo mode. I've seen it at Oshkosh and at Sun and Fun and out on the ramp in front of factories where they've got a supply of fuel in cans that they topped off and they trust it. They dumped it in. It's not like they got it out of a truck or out of a fuel pump and fire, fire it up and go back and fly. Right. Uh, it's uh, probably going to change that practice with something. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess. I don't know. Uh, what else is going on? Anybody, pick one more thing we can talk about. What, what do we want to talk about? There's a whole bunch of drone stories here, which I just, part of me wants to talk about them and part of me doesn't. And, uh, um, Harrison Ford's, uh, 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 was this the final or was this the, uh, is this more preliminary? Um, the, uh, the report regarding Harrison Ford's crash in, uh, in Santa Monica a, a while back. Let me just see what this. I thought was. that was a final. Uh, it's, that's I, that's uh, what I want to say, but let's see now here. Uh, a GA News oh, story. Um, although they're quoting a report on AvWeb. Um, so let's click that link. Yeah. And it's a, uh, it's a probable cause report, so it's a final. Okay. Um, yeah. But I yeah. Carburetor main metering jet became unseated, led to an extremely rich fuel to air ratio. And resulted in loss of power, total loss of power. Holy moly, that's they're they're good at figuring these things out, huh? The yeah. jet they they were able to determine that the jet came loose, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. It, it also called attention to um, what they believed to be a, a a problem with his shoulder harnesses, right? Um, and they're attributing the seriousness of his injuries to the fact that his harnesses failed or didn't work quite right or something like that. And uh, the the attachment points failed. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it, it wasn't really wasn't really reinforced to be taken the the kind of load a seat belt uh, has to. The 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 bowl basically pulled right through the airframe structure that the belts were anchored to. Well. Yeah. What was that the attachment? Sure. Was that attachment expected to be able to take this kind of load, or was it just it just exceeded it? Because if the, you if you read the paragraph where the NTSB discusses the yeah. the, uh, the um, read it uh, for shoulder, me, uh, well, I'll read it for you. Thank you. The, the front and rear seats of the airplane were equipped with non-factory installed shoulder harnesses. The pilot's shoulder harness was installed by mounting the end of the restraint to the lower portion of the seat back assembly, which was made of thin aluminum. No reinforcement material or doublers were installed at or around the attachment bolt hole in the seat back. The lack of reinforcement allowed the attachment bolt, washers, and stop nut to be pulled upward and through the seat back structure during the impact sequence, which resulted in the pilot's loss of shoulder harness restraint it is likely that the improperly installed shoulder harness contributed to the severity of the pilot's injuries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... That's all, folks. Yeah, that's... Um, yeah. There's a, a video. Uh, I'll, I'll poke around here and see if I can find a link to it. Um, that uh, the NASA produced earlier in the summer. NASA is um, engaged in a series of, of tests of emergency locator transmitters, ELTs. They're doing this uh, in a formal, official manner 
in conjunction with NOAA, uh, which is uh, the, the U.S. agency responsible for administering the COSPAS SARSAT uh, search uh, protocols, the satellite-based uh, um, ELT and PLB uh, signals. Um, and uh, NOAA, again, is the agency responsible for registering uh, uh, similar devices, the, the 406 devices that we all know and love. Um, the, um, the NASA tests involve, they went out and bought three 172s um, and uh, wanted, you know, running flying airplanes uh, and bolted a bunch of EL, I'm simplifying greatly here, bolted a bunch of ELTs to them mm-hmm. and are crash testing them in the uh, facility they have at, at the Langley, uh, NASA Langley in Virginia. Uh-huh. That facility was originally designed and used for testing of lunar landers back in the Apollo program in the 60s. Oh, okay. It subsequently got used uh, to, to do some crash testing of some Piper airframes in the early 70s that were uh, totaled, damaged as a result of the uh, uh, flooding associated with a hurricane back in 72 or something like that. The Johnstown flood, as I recall, the Susquehanna River flooded and, and flooded this, par- this Piper factory and took out a bunch of these airframes. Uh, and NASA, Piper donated, gave uh, to NASA the, these airframes, um, and NASA began to, to crash test them. They've crash tested a lot of GA airframes over the years mm-hmm. at that facility. Uh, the punchline I'm getting around to is... There's, a, there's some video. Um, NASA has a, uh, I guess it's an Instagram account or a Flickr account. Uh, and uh, they've put some stills and some videos up on that account. There's also uh, a video on NASA's website, NASA Langley's website, where they talk about this. One of the videos um, uh, was produced to also incorporate video uh, shot from inside the uh, the airframe, inside the cabin of the 172 when they crash tested it. And it's uh, it's black and white. It's shot. It, the camera is basically mounted under the instrument panel looking back at the front seat uh, crash test dummies. The pilot side uh, crash test dummy has a simple um, three-point shoulder belt on it. The co-pilot side crash test dummy has no shoulder belt, just a lap belt. Uh-huh. And it's incredibly interesting to see how the co-pilot side, the right side, the, the passenger side crash test dummy, literally eats the control yoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While the, the pilot side crash test dummy doesn't move at all. Mm-hmm. I was able to get some stills from that video and built them into the September issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Interesting. And it's it's the, the whole the whole sequence is just incredibly informational. Same thing happened here basically except there was uh, a shoulder harness. It just didn't hold up during the accident sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we uh retrofitted Air Comanche with an STC mm-hmm. uh shoulder harness kit. We put new belts in the airplane all the way around figuring that after 40 years that the original belts probably were well beyond their serviceable life. Uh, and the front seats, we uh, got the uh, shoulder harness conversion kit, which entailed a fair amount of uh, fuselage work to put in uh, two doublers, 
Uh, you had to go underneath the headliner to put one on the outside skin of the Comanche and, and then another one on a piece of structure. And then there was a sleeved bolt hole and the bolt went in through the outside and anchored the, the uh, shoulder harness. But uh, it was inordinately uh, labor intensive to put that set up on, on both seats. But after it was done and you looked at it, there was no doubt in your mind that a, a lot of other stuff would have to break and collapse before those bolts would get pulled through those yeah. doublers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so that seat belt was going to be secure. The floor anchors we also replaced because the original steel ones had uh, shown a little sign of corrosion and figured, what the hell, in for a penny, in for a pound. Right. So we replaced all of us, put stainless steel anchors in all of the uh, seat belt anchors and was amazed when I looked at some of the stuff that in some of the home-built aircraft where guys have put in shoulder harnesses and seen the uh, amount of doubler they have to put in on what's essentially an all-aluminum structure for it to take the load that expected of it. Mm -hmm. So this isn't real surprising. I'm surprised that it got signed off by whoever did it originally. Yeah, that's a, you know, I'm sure somewhere in the, in, in the, the brain trust of Harrison Ford's operation, um, they know everything there is to know about how those shoulder harnesses got, got uh, installed. But Dave, I went through the same, same thing with my debonair. Uh, and either both of you sat in the in the front seats of that airplane. Uh, you yep. got some some nice pull down uh, um, uh, four way uh, um, shoulder harnesses in there, and that's uh, basically a, a kit that Beach manufactured um, for that specific airplane. The, the drawings were a little off; uh, had to get fixed. But uh, um, I had those installed back in I don't know oh one oh two something like that. Uh, and um, they're done correctly. There's all a lot of this arose out of out of the '90s when uh, uh, people were sticking uh, uh, drilling holes in the in the steel tube fuselage of Super Cubs in Alaska, sticking a, a, um, a Home Depot uh, bolt and washer through there, and and uh, uh, bolting a shoulder harness to the to the uh, to the airframe. And then some accidents occurred, and people were discovering that, you know, maybe this isn't the smartest way to um, um, to put a shoulder harness in an airplane. And and FAA got involved, and said, you know, maybe some of this stuff is really not approved for this. Maybe we need a a policy here. This was one of the first times in my institutional memory, the FAA actually lightened up a little bit on some regulations, and pointed out that. Um, you could install shoulder harnesses without having to go get an STC and sometimes without even having to do a, a, a Form 337, a major repair or alteration record. Uh, some of this can be done uh, if you have adequate structure and you're not drilling any holes. Some of this can be done just on a mechanics uh, sign-off. You don't need all this other paperwork. And the FAA literally walked through all of this, these processes um, in, a, in a bulletin. Mm -hmm. um, and made it available and, and told people how to do this and basically said, you know, if you do this right, we're not going to stand in your way of installing shoulder harnesses in airplanes that didn't come with them from the factory, I, if, if you do it right. 
Yeah, I'm shaking my head in amazement. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is back in the 90s, as I say. Oh, uh, okay. Um, Anyways, yeah, so. so and, and this is perhaps, I don't know, exhibit A for the reasons that you need to do it right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, okay. Um, in, in, in just a second, I'm going to say shout-outs, so I'm going to let you guys think about what shout-outs might be. In the shout meantime, outs. I'm going to say uh, we here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very, very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. Um, there are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. Uh, you can make a one-time, non-repeating donation using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. Just as little as 10 or $15 uh, is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. Uh, with the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as a dollar per episode. You can put limits on your per-month contribution and change or cancel your pledge at any time. Um, we just recently received a, an, an incredibly generous uh, anonymous uh, Patreon donation uh, from uh, from a listener. Um, we we know who this listener is, and and we have spoken to the to the listener and and, and thanked uh, uh, them uh, profusely. Uh, for their their incredibly generous Patreon as pledge. as we have have thanked this individual on numerous other occasions exactly. for, for similar kindness exactly um, and uh, and 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 we thank thank this person publicly now um, but your pledge doesn't need to be huge um, it's truly true that every dollar is appreciated um, and like I said you can do that either through Patreon or through PayPal or or, or send a check to our address on the on the homepage um, but uh, it it all adds up and it all helps us with uh, various costs and and expenses of putting on this podcast. So anyways, for information on how you can support the podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. Uh, that'll take you to a page with details on both of these support methods. Thank you so very, very much. Shoutouts. I don't have any. Do you have any? I, I've got kind of a rant, but yeah. we can come back to that if I you actually like. realize I do have one, but you rant first, and then I'll okay. do Okay. Um... Not to take anything away from EAA, but one of the there was there was a disappointment this year at AirVenture. Yeah, and that had to do with the lack of progress at the FAA relative to uh, deregulating the third class medical certificate. Okay. So a lot of people were hoping this year at AirVenture that the FAA would would come in the guise of the administrator Michael Huerta, uh, and. Um, Tell us some good news about the issue of the third-class medical deregulation and, and um, keying on the sport pilot certificate and, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, the history we've had with that process and come up with a real response to industry's request for some relief from this rule for certain operations. Mainly we're talking non-commercial operations. One, There's various proposals out there. The... the the one with the most traction uh, says you wouldn't need a medical certificate to fly an airplane weighing 6,000 pounds or less under 14,000 feet and carrying no more than six people, uh, which is basically the, the uh, light GA fleet. Um, it was hoped, as I say, that Huerta would come with some, some positive uh, news on this for attendees at, at AirVenture, but he didn't. Um, there's been a lot of uh, what I'll call thrust and drag uh, in Congress uh, over the uh, last few weeks, or certainly during and since AirVenture, um, there's been talk of adding the uh, uh, provisions in the Pilots' Bill of Rights 2 from Senator Inhofe 
uh, to a highway bill. There's been talk of trying to add it maybe to the uh, FAA reauthorization, something near and dear to, to our hearts here. There's been talk of maybe trying to pass PBOR2 uh, as a standalone bill. Um, the industry um, got very frustrated with the FAA, got very frustrated with the Airline Pilots Association, justifiably. Uh, and um, uh, unfortunately, it's kind of sort of had to take the month of August off. And that's not by their choice. It's, it's by Congress's choice. Congress always takes an August recess and will be back uh, after Labor Day. So the punchline in all this, presuming, of course, this, this podcast hits the streets before Labor Day, the, the punchline in all this is for I'm anybody... i go right over okay. my head. Right, yes. Okay. okay. Punchline is uh, anybody who has an interest in this issue, and I don't, you know, pro con, you know, what I'd like to see on the pro side of, of, of medical certificate deregulation. But now's a really good time to buttonhole your elected Congress critters on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're back in the district, uh, they're back in the state nominally. Um, they, uh, you know, they're hitting the, the Labor Day picnics, they're hitting the, the, uh, the other events that you might attend, or you can just pick up the phone. And call them. Uh, uh, email you certainly, uh, and EAA and AOPA both have uh, uh, very slick uh, uh, front end set up where all you have to do is click a couple of things and, and send an email to your, your Congress critters. Yep. Um, strongly urge listeners to take the opportunity while we have some time, while this remains an issue and will be an issue in September and October of this year. Let your Congress critters know how you feel about this when it's it's important. Yeah, here, here. I couldn't agree more. And yeah, we'll we'll dig up one a link to one of these systems that let, makes it easy for you to communicate with them, and uh, we'll put it in the show notes. David, anything you want to add to that, or I just want to tip my hat to the Airline Pilots Association. For, <laughs> yeah, I know for for doing more to uh, help inspire, support, generate outcry. And basically, just step all over themselves uh, with their uh, press statement, uh, their letter that they released to members of Congress on the last Friday of uh, Oshkosh going yeah. on. Uh, they helped step up the pressure to get this puppy passed significantly. And I, I think we ought to buy them a beer because okay. not even most of their rank and file membership could figure out what the frack caused them to say such things as they said. So, my shout-out is to Alpha. I've known a bunch of you guys over the years. I don't think any one of you would cotton what the hell that letter was about. So yeah. 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 thanks for the help. Thanks for the help. Um, my shout thanks out, for all of the fish. Yeah, My shout-out is to the uh, Smithsonian uh, Air and Space Museum, uh, the National Air and Space Museum. I uh, Right after Oshkosh, I uh, went off on one of my day, day job jobs. And I was in Washington D.C. for a week, and managed to sneak off one evening and uh, and go over to the uh, the, the in town, if you will, uh, version of the museum. Um, and haven't been there in about 15 years, so it was fun to go back and to uh, revisit a lot of exhibits that I've been to before and see a few new ones that weren't there last time I was there. I took a picture of myself in front of 
Now, this is a little controversial whether or not this is the right flyer or a right flyer, but anyways, took a little selfie in front of the right flyer, took a selfie in front of Spirit of St. Louis, um, and uh, and just had a nice evening uh, exploring the uh, the uh, downtown, if you will, uh, uh, National Air and Space Museum. The, the original. The original. Yeah, the original. The original. Now, I'm a little, I'm more than a little, I'm quite jealous that two of my coworkers managed to score some a big chunk of spare time before and after the event. And they each went out to the uh, Dulles uh, uh, Udvar-Hazy version of uh, the museum, and uh, and just tormented me with stories about uh, their their wonderful time there. Um, I've never been to that one, and and uh, by all accounts, it's really awesome. And I'm next gonna... time you fly through Dulles, yeah, build in like an eight-hour layover. Or something. Yeah. And, Seriously. Well, that's what that. one of the friends did. He he actually wasn't flying out on that that travel day until like six o'clock in the evening. So he just went to the airport at ten and then got a cab and went to the museum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, but that's a great museum. Even the downtown one, the, the original one, is is very. Cool. Was this was the Spirit of St. Louis still on the floor? No, it was hanging in the air. Okay, well, I was there in January and they had just taken down the Spirit of St. Louis. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was on the floor. Um, in one, one of the uh, galleries, galleries, um, you could get a lot closer to it. They mm-hmm. had it roped off, of course. Yeah. Uh, I got some pictures of it, yada yada. But uh, I'm glad to see they got it hanging. Back yeah, it's back up hanging good. up That's above good. the second, you know, up at the second level. Um, down there's still that there's still a lot going on down in that whole central floor area. They're apparently re, redo, redoing an exhibit. Um, the uh, Spaceship One is sitting there right now, um, which is kind of cool. Walter yeah. Boyne, I think it was told a story um he used to be curator a curator of uh, at air and space told a story where before he died charles Lindbergh uh had made a special request if he could have some quiet time uh in that gallery and of course they agreed and mm-hmm. um the, the storyteller again i don't remember if it was boyne or somebody else uh was present and had made all the arrangements and they had a man lift or a ladder or a crane or, you know, some mechanism uh, that allowed um, Lindbergh to climb into the Spirit of St. Louis' wow. cockpit what a while, it was, while it was suspended been. from the ceiling there. And the storyteller uh, basically turned his back and walked away. Didn't want any part, uh, didn't want to be even thought of having uh, interfered with the privacy uh, of, of that moment. Mm-hmm. But at one point, kind of absentmindedly glanced up and saw Lindbergh sitting in the cockpit of the Spirit of St. Louis. Yeah. And that was, you know, a, a moment that, that the storyteller uh, was was very happy to, to relate. But I, I I wish I knew who, who told it. I, maybe I could find that out with the Internet. I don't know. Maybe the Internet knows. That's great. That's great. Anyways, hey, we got to stick a fork in this. Um, anyways, it's always fun, guys. Thank you for uh, getting back together and uh, and chatting. Um, my two good friends, Dave Higdon, is a uh, aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. What you been working on, David? Anything you can tell us about that's hitting the street about now? Uh, well, uh, I guess I'd use this to uh, pump up my uh, b- weekly biz Ab column on avbuyer.com. Yeah. Some good uh, stuff there. I've been retweeting. The Biz blog. We're doing it every Friday. Yeah, yeah. People should check that out. And uh, and uh, uh, some good stuff there. And so, uh, where in general can people find you on the internet, David? Oh, avbuyer.com, uh, net. Uh, on on Twitter, you're uh, real Higdon. 
Oh, that's yeah. That's real Higdon, and uh, on LinkedIn is Dave Higdon. So you, you can find me here and there, and but not on Facebook. Uh, excellent in in many ways to what you just said. Uh, <laughs> Jeb Burnside is a uh, as a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on? We know you had that piece in uh, in GA News that we were talking right, about, right? So GANews.com, and I've got a regular series of of pieces going into GA News now, uh, once a month. And uh, actually, I'm a little bit overdue on the next installment. But uh, uh, Ben, if you hear this before I get it in, please forgive me. Um, <laughs> And um, so there's that. There's AviationSafetyMagazine.com, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's um, AEA.net. That's right. You guys were all over the Yellow Book again this year, right? Yeah. The, the uh, yeah. annual there. Uh, yeah. Yep. So that's cool. Um, and uh, you never know where we're going to turn right. up next. So where can people find you on the Internet? AviationSafetyMagazine.com. You can catch me on Twitter, Burnside J. Um, and that's about it. That's good. Oh, and, and don't forget the uncontrolled airspace website. There you go. I liked, by the way, in your your little bio in GA News uh, plugs the podcast. Thumbs yeah. up. Yeah. Thumbs up. Thumbs yeah. up. Yeah. Hey, and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can follow me at Twitter, uh, where my handle is Jack Hodgson. And uh, learn more than you really wanted to know about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Uh, big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for all his help with the show notes and in the forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, Jim Goldman, and to the other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Uh, and don't forget, you can check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. All that and much, much more at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, was there something you were going to say? The only way to get to our ripe old age is to fly because, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. So long. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Keep those cards and letters coming in, folks. Members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.